0: In episode 537 with Yolanda Norris-Clark, we are talking about something we have never spoken about on the show, and that is free birthing. We're also diving deep into orgasmic birthing, how she dances between almost 10 children and a full-time career she loves disrupting societal norms, and so much more. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl, Open Wide, Comparisonitis, and Time Magic. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating. And wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Beautiful. Hey, beautiful, and welcome back to the show. I'm so excited about this episode because I have wanted to have Yolanda on the show for a really long time time and now it is here and for those of you that have never heard of her she is a leader in the free birth birth freedom self-healing and health liberation movements she is a spell breaker a whistleblower trailblazer and beloved guide to women all over the world who are awakening to the possibility of giving birth in peace and power she is a mother to almost 10 children Isn't that just amazing? Now, she has given birth to all of her children at home, and for over 20 years, she has been immersed in the world of holistic physiological birth, supporting thousands of mothers and families virtually as a birth consultant and in person as a home birth witness, as well as through her online programs and writings. Her mission is to dispel the myth that birth is an ordeal from which women must be delivered, and to share the truth that birth is primarily a spiritual experience designed to be transformational, transcendent, and ecstatic, and that this is possible for every mother and baby. For everything that we mention in today's conversation, including her book, you can check out in the show notes, and that's over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 537. Now let's bring on this incredible woman, Yolanda Norris-Clark. Yolanda, welcome to the show. I am so excited about this conversation. But before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning?
1: Oh my goodness, I had a good old fashioned bacon and eggs and a little side salad. breakfast. You do you,
0: babe. You do you. (laughs) I want to kick off. For listeners unfamiliar with the term, can you please explain what free birthing is and how it differs? from more conventional
1: birthing methods? Well, first of all, Melissa, (laughs) I would argue that free birth is the conventional birthing method original. (laughs) The OG. (laughs) That's right, the OG birthing method. Yeah, and really, I see free birth as just, it's just normal birth. It's just family birth, it's just birth as I believe human women have actually done it for a lot longer than what has now become considered conventional or usual or, yeah. So in my view, I use the term free birth to really describe an autonomous birth that is entirely owned by the mother herself, and that doesn't involve any outside support, any professional support, uh, the presence of anyone other than the mother herself and her intimate family and possibly some close friends who are there in a non-medical, non-professional capacity. So free birth is really just spontaneous birth in a mother's home. And to my mind, it's it's the easy way. <laughs> in my experience.
0: You have had nine children. Did you free birth all nine of them?
1: Well, I have given birth to nine children, yes, and all nine of my babies were born at home, but I would only describe the youngest seven as kind of officially freeborn, what have you, because for my first two births, I invited an illegal underground midwife that I had encountered to support me and she was such an amazing influence in my life and such an incredible support to me one of the gifts that she gave me was the confidence and the sense of ease to to just have my babies at home after that so yeah seven free births altogether but also at this point at this stage in my life i think on one hand The terms that we use to describe our experience are very important. I think words are so powerful. Words have a lot of gravitas, energy, meaning words create our reality to a large extent. And then at the same time, I'm really not interested in policing how other women describe their births. And I hear the term free birth now used in lots of different contexts. And yeah, that's great. I have my own specific way of of using the term. And and to me, it's it's birth. It doesn't involve any outside professionals, essentially.
0: Mm -hmm. So I was sharing with you before we started recording that I have a daughter. She is two and a half. And I always thought that I would free birth. And we ended up having a beautiful home birth. The pool was there and I had the most divine midwife there and absolutely loved my birthing experience. I loved being pregnant. I had the most beautiful home birth. Oh, I just loved it so much. So much so that I created a program called Holy Mama, which teaches women about conscious conception, pregnancy, empowered birthing, blissful postpartums, and conscious parenting. And I brought in 17 of the world's best doctors and experts to teach in the program. I should have had you in there, that's for sure. But I was so passionate about birth and empowered birthing. And I can see how being my first one, free birthing requires unwavering confidence within yourself. And I had confidence within myself, definitely. And I had no doubt that I was going to home birth. That was my option. But I was like, oh, I feel like I would love my midwife there because I met her. She was amazing. I was like, I feel like that would really be supportive for me. And then my husband was like, oh, I thought, you know, we were going to free birth. And we ended up not doing that, having this amazing midwife. It was a beautiful experience. And, you know, I've often said to Nick, you know, maybe the next one will free birth. But can you just talk about this unwavering confidence within yourself? Because we are born to birth and there's so much fear and there's so many stories that we're told that we can't do it and all of these things. And I just feel from you, even here, you have this unwavering confidence within yourself. You're like, yep, I'm going to free birth, a hundred babies, I'm going to do it. So talk to the confidence piece, the confidence in your body, the confidence in your mindset, because I feel like it is such a huge piece. And you might not agree with me, but
1: is it a huge piece of the puzzle? Oh, gosh. I think it's a piece of the puzzle. I have a fundamental degree of confidence that has always been part of who I am. But I wouldn't call that unwavering. (laughs) That's a big question, actually, for me, Melissa, because I really know who I am and I really love myself. And I really feel like I belong here in the world. And that that is unwavering. But that's not to say that I don't have moments of fear like every other mother oh, throughout the course of my all, all aspects of mothering, certainly during pregnancy. And I think that we arrive at confidence In a similar way that we arrive at faith through the experience of taking these leaps into the unknown. And my journey through now seven free births, nine home births, I'm about to birth my 10th baby, has really been a process of, of self discovery and of exploring my own willingness to actually experience what it is to have my confidence waver immensely, and yet to continue to move forward on the path that I know is meant for me. So yes and no. <laughs> I get a lot of questions actually about fear around pregnancy and fear around birth, and I have had all of those same fears, and I, I do occasionally now. Less so, certainly. I experience less or fewer moments of fear or maybe it's also partly that I've become more practiced at processing my fears and of accepting my fears and moving through fear with a greater degree of efficiency at this point as a 42-year-old mom of almost 10. <laughs> but you know, all of the experiences that women have, especially with that feeling of really not being sure of whether or not we can do it is not at all foreign to me. Not at all. Lots of wavering. I love
0: the honesty. And I want to just thank you for that because I say this to all of my business coaching clients as well. And inside Holy Mama, it's like the fear can come up and you still move forward in spite of it. Like you still move forward. You address it, you release it, but you still move forward. And I think That's how we get to where we want to be in business and in life. So I love that. Now, did you always know that you were going to free birth? What was your journey to that? Did you grow up with a mother who spoke
1: about free birthing? Where was this seed planted for you? I did always know that I would give birth at home. So did I. You did too. Yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? I actually, was I myself was born in a hospital, and my mother experienced immense trauma, and so did I, during my entry into the world. And she was very, very open and honest with me about how unnecessary the way that she gave birth was, how unnecessary the mistreatment that she experienced in the hospital was, how unnecessary and and really terrible and and truly traumatic it was that i was separated from her at the moment of my birth and put in a little glass box and given sugar water for the first 8 hours of my life and so there was never a time that i that i i didn't have a memory of that story being shared with me with a sense of righteous outrage and the message that i received from my mother very clearly very overtly was that things would be different for me when it came time for me to give birth to my babies and i don't think my mother had any inkling of what she meant by that i mean she and i have talked about this a lot uh, what she meant by that is that in her mind the system would be improved and that things would be rectified and you know the system would be changed and uh, you know human rights would be brought to to birth and My perspective now on the industrial obstetric complex is that that system was never broken. It was from its very inception designed to create trauma and fracture and alienation and discord. And so my mission in life, in my own personal life for my children and my family, but also in the wider world, is to really share the message that birth is actually available to women here and now, that birth liberation is available to women here and now. And so, yes, I did always know that I would give birth at home from a very, very young age. And I see my first two birth experiences as part of the continuum of what brought me to to free birth. And I, I actually feel quite strongly that Free birth is very much connected to the importance of the revolution that I see occurring in the world of birth support and midwifery as well. And it sounds like you had such a wonderful experience, Melissa, and I think I want that for all women. And I too had such a wonderful, uh, such wonderful experiences with the births of my first two babies, and I'm so grateful to have had the support of my wise woman and mentor and midwife. And so, yeah, there's really no hierarchy of value as I see it. I think whether or not a woman chooses free birth or birth with a midwife that she truly loves and trusts or a birth in the hospital, I mean, I really do stand for total freedom of choice. And for me, I have ended up choosing free birth in my most recent birth experiences because I do, I have found that both as a birthing mother and as a traditional birth attendant or birth witness who's worked in the birth world and I've attended many births over the years, there are some interesting distinctions that I have experienced in terms of the difference between free birth and attended birth, however lovingly attended. And I personally have found that being really in my own space and and not having any influence from anyone outside of my family has really allowed me to to access a certain kind of still point and meditative consciousness that I'm not sure I would be able to alight upon if I had even the presence of someone that I loved and trusted. And so again, it's not there's no neither is better and I, I fully support the choice that women make to, to uh, have whatever kind of birth that they want. But I really, I really love, I love free birth. And I, I can't imagine giving birth with, with anyone outside of my family. It's such an intimate experience for me that, that I'm, I'm very much at peace with that choice.
0: So do you have your other children there? Do you have your partner there? Like who is there? Any other best friends or anyone else?
1: Well, I have actually invited friends to support the logistics of my family life quite a few times in my past births, and it's really actually only my most recent birth, the birth of my baby Helio, who's almost two years old, believe it or not, and whose birth inspired in many ways my book Portal. It was really for the first time during that birth experience only almost two years ago that I gave birth primarily alone. So his birth process was about four days long. And, you know, it's very hard to quantify when a birth officially begins, and because birth really begins at conception, I think. But my waters released four days before he was born. And during that four days, I was offered this incredible experience of deep, deep initiation. And what I ended up choosing, especially closer to his emergence, was really that everyone just leave me the heck alone. And I was in my room by myself and my kids came in and out. And, you know, we have a very fluid family life and our children really know birth because all of the older siblings have witnessed, you know, at least at least one younger sibling's birth. So everyone's very comfortable with birth and they would kind of filter in and out. And if they made too much noise, I would shoo them away. And my husband, who has been just an immense, immensely supportive person in, in, in my life in every way, but but he's, he's a really wonderful, wonderful birth witness, primarily because he really has no interest in birth whatsoever and totally recognizes that it's none of his business and absolutely realizes that he has nothing to offer and so he feels very comfortable really being there purely to serve me and to 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 do my bidding in whatever way and so in this in this instance i really felt the need to be very much alone and so he kind of hung out on the perimeter in a very masculine protector role and it was only during the last 10 minutes when i I was so surprised by the fact that my baby was actually coming through my body that I I called out and I invited him in. And so he witnessed our baby's emergence. But really, for the better part of four days, I was alone and just moving into the vortex of infinity in a completely trance-like, hallucinogenic state. And it was wonderful. <laughs> Beautiful.
0: Oh, and your book, so stunning. And I want to talk about this ninth birth because it was actually an orgasmic birth, which I want to talk to you about. But before we go there, what are some of the misconceptions people have around free birthing?
1: Oh my goodness. Where to begin? The list is long. (laughs) There are a lot of ideas that, well, it's funny because I think there are some misconceptions, but a lot of the beliefs that people have about free birth are not so much misconceptions, but I think miss something. So, so one of the things I hear a lot is that women who free birth are very selfish. Hang on, why? I'm so confused. I'm really
0: confused. Why would they be selfish?
1: Well, what I hear, and, and I don't really understand a lot of these perspectives, but I try to because I think it's interesting and valuable to Yeah, to attempt anyway to analyze some of these ideas, but I think there's a view that it's selfish to choose free birth because it's so dangerous, which of course is a story, a perception that is that I don't share, and so there's a lot of cognitive dissonance there. But on the other hand, and this is what I mean when I sort of I express ambivalence about this idea that it's a misconception. It actually is very selfish to free birth. To be selfish is to make the choice that is right for myself and therefore my child, because my child is me. (laughs) My child is inseparable from me. So this idea that it's possible even to be selfish as a pregnant mother in terms of our birth choices, I think is given by a very powerful inversion of our natural instinct, right? Because I don't think we can really be selfish in the way that I think a lot of people mean that to be. Yeah, I am selfish, and therefore I make the choice that is absolutely right for me and my child based on our highest good rooted in my own personal subjective assessment of safety and risk that may be quite different from the assessment of safety and risk that other people have, right? So we live in this very interesting culture right now where the medical industrial complex is so kind of overbearing and domineering that that it has created this framework that it's attempted to kind of project onto everybody with the suggestion that, that that institution has a monopoly on what constitutes safety and risk, and I don't think that's true, and I don't believe that or or care about it. So I have my my own subjective understanding of safety and risk, and every choice that I make is utterly selfish in service to the good of my body, my baby, my family. And as a result of, of that choice that's so much in alignment with what I know to be true, I think it also is inevitably in support of the highest good of my community as well, and I, I think that's actually how, yeah, how how right action works, if that makes sense. So yeah, the idea that it's selfish to free birth, uh, the idea that it is dangerous, objectively dangerous to free birth, is is very much rooted in a lot of misconceptions about just how our bodies function, about what birth is, about our place in the world even, as human beings. If we believe that birth is inherently dangerous, then that infers a lot about just our overall worldview. And I think that birth is an incredible process of transformation. It's a spiritual experience. Spontaneous birth is our birthright. I think birth gives us access to God in a way that no other experience does. I think birth is fun and silly and beautiful and sweet and lovely. And I do think that we are designed to give birth with ease and fluidity and, and connectedness. And I have yet to discover any convincing evidence that points to birth in the hospital being even remotely safe let alone safer than spontaneous wild birth at home and you know i do have very powerful biases and in my experience i just don't see i don't see institutional birth or industrial birth offering a result that is that is interesting or compelling to me what i see overwhelmingly in my practice and just in 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 a multitude of ways is that the result of industrial obstetric birth is really widely trauma and disconnection and hardship and sorrow and what i see and have experienced myself and and what i've seen in the in the, the thousands at this point women that i've supported in choosing free birth and in choosing sovereign birth really is that the result is overwhelmingly euphoria and ecstasy and a sense of powerful connection with our babies and a grounding in motherhood and initiation into motherhood that gives us a sense of power and a kind of attachment to our babies that tends to lead to the overall experience of mothering being one that is just joyful in general. I mean, we all have struggles as mothers, of course, but I love mothering. Being a mother is such an incredible source of inspiration and energy and vitality for me. And the story that motherhood is inherently depleting, that it's inherently a struggle, that that it's always going to be hard, that it's going to prevent us as women from, from actualizing ourselves or fulfilling our dreams or being creative or having successful businesses, whatever it is. I think that's a very pernicious story that is promoted in a multitude of ways, but I think it also is connected to that, that experience of, of motherhood as a drain. That negative story is very much connected to the kind of trauma that so many mothers experience during the industrial birth process.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Did you always know you were going to have 10 children? Are you going to have more? Like, was this a knowing as a child, you were like, I'm going to have a big family? Why do you keep having more and more? Like, share with me.
1: <laughs> oh, my goodness. No, 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 not at all. So my husband and I have almost eight babies. And I have two older sons from a very early relationship. So we I kind of have two two batches, which I know eight versus ten, it's like, what? what's the difference, really? There's a lot. But no, I really always just assumed that I would have 2.3 children like a normal person <laughs> or whatever. And when I met my husband Lee, we wanted to have children. So I had already, like I said, I had two older sons and we thought that we would have have two children together and that we would leave it at that. And I was already working in birth at the time and we had a very kind of interesting life. I was also working as as a ceramic artist. My husband, Lee, is a ceramic artist. And so, you know, we were both working from home and we had a lot of flexibility in our life. And we had our first two and that was great and so much fun. And then, you know, it was a little bit of like, oh, well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. And then the third came along. And and then at that point, you know, you're sort of verging on having a large family and then we thought, well, four is still in the realm of normal, and we could have four and and still not have people wonder what's going on. <laughs> anyway, we just, things just sort of, yeah, it was actually really, number five was was a big turning point because we were in Canada at the time. I live in Nicaragua now, but, but especially in Canada, I think in North America, maybe the same is true in Australia. Four kids is like a big, big family and you should be done. Like it's very big, it's it's a lot to have four, but you're still like you're still kind of okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then five just tipped things right over the edge. And at that point, we sort of thought, well, actually we're having a lot of fun. And it's really, we're getting a real, real kick out of having this big family. And so it probably won't really make that much difference to have six. <laughs> and now that I'm pregnant with our eighth, I'm 42 years old, and I've really just sort of embraced this idea that I mean, I I have undergone also, I should say this too, in the past 3 years especially, I have experienced multiple layers of personal transformation actually, and I've really I've shifted a lot of my political views, I've shifted a lot of my spiritual views. I've experienced a lot of, all I can say is sort of visitations from spirit that have given me powerful messages surrounding acceptance and surrender. And I, at one point I saw our large family as a little bit weird and something of a liability. And there's another among the, the powerful messages that, that, that I think we we all absorb to some extent in this in this current culture was also that we each have a personal responsibility not to contribute to overpopulation and it's irresponsible to have too many children and I see things very differently now and so I feel like I'm absolutely on on purpose and on my path and that however many babies I'm granted by the Great Spirit in this lifetime will be the perfect number. And I don't really think about any of that stuff anymore, and it doesn't really bother me. And also, I mean, I work in birth, and each of my pregnancy and birth experiences has granted me a completely new and different perspective on all aspects of mothering and pregnancy and birth. And this is my role in the world and I'm totally at peace with it. And my kids are great and they're wonderfully well-adjusted and it's great.
0: So beautiful. I love it. Thank you for sharing. Now just going back to free birthing, is there any particular circumstances or conditions where you would advise against it? Is there anyone whom this is not for?
1: Yes, I think that free birth is not for any woman who doesn't feel comfortable with the idea for whatever reason i think free birth is not for any woman who isn't willing to take full responsibility for whatever outcome occurs in her in her birth experience but i would also say the same about any choice in birth i think that hospital birth is not for a woman who would feel uncomfortable taking full responsibility for whatever occurs in a hospital environment. So, I mean, that's a bit of a twisty answer. There is certainly no external circumstance or condition or issue with a mother's body that would have me suggest or dictate or presume to have any kind of answers about what would be right for another woman. So, I think that's actually one of the core principles of my personal philosophy and that is that the mother is the sole authority over the decisions that she makes during her pregnancy and birth and there are a lot of women who come to me with with specific questions about, you know, I have this certain condition or that condition and and does that mean that I shouldn't make this choice or that choice or that I shouldn't free birth? And of course not. I mean, I think really that women should do whatever they want to do. And again, this comes back to this idea of who decides what is too risky? Who decides what danger really means? Who who has the authority to quantify risk? And I, I think that that answer is always the mother herself. And I, I would certainly be placed in a high-risk category by certain medical professionals in certain contexts. I mean, I'm 42 years old. You know, I'm Rh negative. I have had multiple miscarriages. My babies gestate until approximately 44 weeks usually. I mean, in in my most recent birth experience too, just the very fact that my waters were open and leaking for 4 days, for a lot of people, a lot of birth professionals would be just a that that's a monumental risk that is you know, again, terribly irresponsible for a woman to to decline to seek medical attention in that kind of circumstance. And yeah, that's that's fine. But I I decide what uh, what is too risky or or safe for me. And I think that all women have that capacity and that right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, people often say the same thing to me, like, where should I birth? And I'm like, where feels the best for you? Don't listen to anyone else. Where feels the best for you? Where do you feel the safest, the happiest? Go there, go there. So yeah, I love that it comes back to our own choice. And it, it is the most, like you said, the most magical, expansive, spiritual experience of our life. We should get to decide where we want to do that. So We mentioned before that your ninth birth was an orgasmic birth. Oh, okay. So I have had Deborah Pascale Bonero on the podcast, and she's inside Holy Mama. And I watched her documentary, Orgasmic Birth, way before I was even pregnant. And I was like, oh, I want one of those. Yeah, that sounds amazing. So you have cracked the code on orgasmic birthing for the ninth one. How did you do it? What was it like? Share all of the details with us because I know everyone listening is like, yeah,
1: I want an orgasmic birth for sure. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes, I really did. It's quite hilarious to me, actually, to be in this in this position of having written a book about the art of choosing orgasmic, pain-free, blissful birth and to be talking with you about this right now, Melissa, because for... 20 years, 20 years of birthing my, my nine babies, I never would have thought that I would be the kind of mother who would have that experience. And as I write in my book Portal, it's not even that I'd given up because I never even really like tried or thought about it all that much. I was just so secure in the knowledge that the kind of women who had orgasmic births were You know, like they were super spiritual, and they really had their lives together. And you know, they probably—I don't know—their closets were really organized. (laughs) Or you know, I had all of these sort of stories about what went into being someone like that. And I was so kind of actually quite comfortable with. Well, I loved all my—I love all my births, and that's actually really important. I completely adore all of the ranting and raving that I did during my my earlier births and the sort of descent into the underworld that several of those births involved and the pain and the struggle and the just all of the emotive, all of the stuff, you know, screaming and yelling. I was really a big screamer and yeller. And what happened during my ninth birth, well, the whole story is in Portal, of course, but in a nutshell, (laughs) I moved through several spiritual experiences over the course of my pregnancy and and prior to my pregnancy with my baby that at the time were important and impactful but which I didn't realize until my birth came around had actually evinced more profound forms of transformation first of all so birth is absolutely i think i mean obviously <laughs> it involves our bodies but but i think birth is primarily about spiritual transformation coming into the world, birth and death, they're on the same continuum, and birth encompasses everything that is available to us in life, including the shadow and the darkness and a kind of dance with all of eternity. And so when I reached my birth time with my most recent baby, my youngest baby Helio, who's now almost two, there were certain aspects of the way that his birth began to unravel or to blossom that allowed me to see that all of the ways that I had experienced drama and pain and struggle and even intensity during my previous births had been a choice. And that in a sense, I was acting out a version of myself that i had the option of stepping outside of and that we all have the option in every situation in our lives to evoke certain versions of ourselves and that we really do contain multitudes and that i had the option in this experience of moving towards this incredible spiritual initiation of simply allowing the experience to be pure bliss and that to do so involved a very disciplined form of surrender and that actually real surrender, authentic, true surrender is a kind of discipline. And I noticed that I felt curious for the very first time, really, about what it might be like To choose a different kind of birth experience. And an awareness developed that that choice was available to me. And I had never really even allowed the realization to occur to me in the past that I did have this choice. And so I found myself moving through a series of internal, psychic, and cognitive practices and this is kind of part of the framework that I build out in the book portal that allowed me to soften as each wave came closer as opposed to armoring myself and attempting to protect myself from the surge that that the birth process creates in our bodies and instead of just opening every portal that was available to me the portal of my third eye, the portal of my cognition, the portal of my heart, my pelvis, my yoni, every physical and spiritual portal very consciously. And the result of that essentially was that it wasn't just that—and I get this question a lot, and it's, it's very difficult to explain. Hopefully I do a better job in the book <laughs> of explaining all of this, but I get the question a lot. You know, was it just that you managed to convince yourself that it wasn't painful or was it actually not painful? (laughs) And I can say unequivocally that there was no pain whatsoever and that I'm actually at a point now in my journey in this life and in my work in birth where I, I actually believe that there is a kind of original design of birth. And that birth is a form of sexual bliss and that birth and orgasm are the same thing and that birth is actually available to every woman as not just easeful and sweet and lovely and devoid of any struggle at all, but specifically orgasmic and ecstatic in every way.
0: Thank you for sharing that. When I reflect on my birth, and I've done so much reflecting on it and just love going back there and processing, and I've had so many conversations with my midwife. When I think back to those surges, pain is not a word I would put in the same sentence. For me, it was definitely an intense sensation, but I wouldn't put pain in that sentence And then when she was crowning, you know how they say the ring of fire, it definitely felt like a a sting, you know, but I wouldn't describe it as pain. And the whole birth for me was like lovemaking with my husband. We weren't physically making love, but like our energies were making love. And the way that he showed up for me that day, I was in awe I would say to him, you are my hero. I fell in love with him all over again. And he's like, babe, you are my hero. Did you just see what you just did? And I'm like, no, but the way that you just danced with me and the way that you showed up, talk about dream birthing partner, just dream the way that he showed up. And yeah, I just wanted to say like, I wouldn't put pain in those sentences. For me, yes, it's an intense sensation, but
1: yeah, I just wouldn't put pain in that same sentence. You know what I mean? I do. I think that's so, so beautiful. I'm so glad that you had that kind of experience, Melissa. It's incomparable, really. Birth is an experience in its own category in in our lifetimes. so wonderful.
0: Is there anything else besides really doing a lot of the spiritual work that you did in your pregnancy. Is there anything physically that women could do to prep themselves for an orgasmic experience? Or is there anything else that is worth mentioning here? I know we can read your book, which I highly recommend everyone read. It is incredible. And you are such a beautiful, beautiful writer. But is there anything else that you would want people to explore?
1: Well, in the book I do talk about a lot of the practices that I have chosen to engage in over the course of my pregnancy. So, I take excellent care of my my body. I eat really well. I I choose high-quality, wonderful foods. Moving my body in in specific ways is really important to me. I have a lot of varied practices that I that I recommend. However, I think primarily the path to choosing a pain-free orgasmic birth or a birth in power to any extent and i i think the title of my book is a little bit of a it's a little bit of a trick because i don't think it really matters <laughs> whether or not a woman ends up with an orgasmic birth or not i mean it's lovely and i do know that it's available to each of us But I adore that it took me eight births to have this experience. And the fact that some women may may not is neither here nor there, really. But what's really at the heart of the message in my book is the importance of taking full responsibility of every choice that we make and of recognizing that at every crossroads in our lives, we really do have a choice in how we orient our focus and our attention, and that we, we really do create the outcome of our lives. And that doesn't mean that we get to decide on the details or the, or the specifics, but that whatever occurs for us, we can choose what aspect of that experience to focus on and to amplify, and that disavowing victimhood and really claiming our own story in my experience, is one of the most powerful choices that we can possibly make. And in the context of birth and mothering especially, it's really everything. Everything completely shifts for everyone, without exception, when we set aside the story that we're victims of our circumstances as opposed to beings that are imbued with the most powerful creative energy on this planet and that everything is available to us.
0: Absolutely. It sure is. Like, no one is more special than anyone else. No one got more orgasmic birthing, magical fairy dust sprinkled over them when they came into the world. Like you said, it's available to all of us. And I really want people to really let that sink in. It is available to all of us. And you are such a beautiful expander for so many people in the birthing space. So thank you so much. Empowered births, that is what I really want people to have. I believe that every female is worthy and deserving of an empowered experience. Now, what that looks like, I don't care. It could be in your backyard. It could be on the side of the road. It doesn't matter. But everyone deserves to walk away from their birthing experience going, oh, that was. I feel like I can do anything. And that's how I feel. Literally, anytime I have to do anything, like I had to get a mole removed and I was like, is it going to be painful? And they were like, Well, yeah. And I was like, actually, I gave birth without drugs. I can do anything. Like, literally, I can do anything. So empowered experiences, whatever that looks like for you. I just want that so much for every female on this earth. I want that for them because we're all worthy of it. So thank you for being such an expander. And I would now love to hear from you if you had a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every high school around the world, which book would you choose? Let's pretend your book is already in there because it's such an incredible book. And I mean, it doesn't even have to be a book on birth or anything. It could be on health. It could be on business. It could be anything. But if there was one book that you would love, you know, 16, 17 year olds to read, what would it be?
1: Oh my goodness. I'm like desperately looking at my bookshelf. <laughs> <laughs> this is a terrible question. How does one choose? How does one choose? Okay, in the spirit of, of our overall topic of, of just personal power and the incredible power we have as human beings, I recently read, a little while ago but relatively recently, an enormous and ridiculous book called Reality Transurfing. by Vadim Zeeland. And it's enormous and rambling and lots of fun. And I would especially recommend that book to high school kids because it's a real jaunt and it's fun to read, but it's also very profound and, and very much rooted in the idea that we really do create our own Reality, I think that that is actually very true. It's become something of a cliche, but I think it's absolutely true. And I love what you just said too. None of us are really all that special. I'm definitely not special. It's somewhat unique that I have had all these kids, and I'm so grateful for the lessons of of my my many births and, and pregnancy experiences. But there's nothing special about about me. It really is available to us all. So, Reality Transurfing is a really fun book. That I think every high school kid, especially, should read.
0: I will link to it in the show notes as well as your book. Now, I would love to hear about how your day looks. I am so curious. I love knowing about people's morning routines and your rituals, but you have nine, almost 10 kids. Talk us through a quote unquote typical day in your life. And I know you're probably like, typical? There's no such thing. But go from the beginning, talk us through your day. All right. Well,
1: our kids are homeschooled, which is really, it's very, it's uh, a very loose kind of homeschool situation. And it really mostly looks like skateboarding and surfing, which I'm totally fine with. Wait, how old is your eldest? The oldest in our clan is uh, almost 15. Yeah, he's a, he's a great guy, very quirky kid, and he loves to read and he's kind of off off doing his own thing a lot of the time. And then there's essentially two years between each of our kids for the most part, three between our two youngest. But yeah, it's about a couple of years between each each baby. And so yeah, there's a wide range. And, and our kids are very, very involved in our community here in Nicaragua. And so they're off doing art classes and skateboarding and lots of things throughout the day and getting together with friends and, and hanging out. But they all have chores to do in the morning. And so I actually organize my day quite strictly because I want to spend as much time with my kids as I can, and I also work a lot, and I am so passionate about the work that I do in the world, and I'm the primary financial support person of our family, so we're very lucky in that my husband is at home with our kids when I'm out at work, and we also have a team of support people that help us as well. And this is a fairly new thing. So I had six children before I hired a housekeeper and a nanny, which we have now. And I feel so lucky to have that kind of support. And it's interesting because I'm wondering if maybe you experience the same thing, Melissa, because you have a public public profile. But I get a lot of questions and comments and you know, sometimes some snarky comments about how I must have you know, all these nannies to be able to handle this. And, and it's true at this point, I do have a lot of support people. And I, I feel now just very grateful for that. Whereas in the past, I had a lot of self-sabotaging sort of martyr feelings about how that shouldn't be allowed. And anyway, I've got over that and I, I'm, I'm very, very happy to have a support system behind me, but I also want to spend as much time with my kids as I can. And so Most mornings, I wake up between 3 o'clock and 4 o'clock in the morning. And yeah, I love being awake early. And it's not all that crazy. (laughs) It's not really all that extreme because I also like to go to bed around 7. So I'm going to ring off with you in a few minutes and then go home and go to sleep. But, But that's a schedule that just works for me. And I really enjoy it because in the early morning, I do a lot of my most intensive creative work. So that's when I'm writing and creating and everything is quiet and no one's trying to talk to me and everything is dark and it's great. So I do my, my most important tasks and creative work early, early in the morning. And then I wake my kids up at around 5.30 and we take our dogs for a walk. And then we have a homeschooling routine that we do together from six to eight usually. And then I go to the gym and i work out every single day at the gym and that's a non-negotiable for me and that's actually something that makes it possible for me to feel energized and to give my full attention to both my work when that's the focus and my children when i'm spending time with them and i usually try to work until only 2 or 3 in the afternoon and sometimes it goes a little bit later but I also do dinner and bedtime with my kids every night. And like I said, I go to sleep at around seven or at the latest eight. And I get the question a lot, you know, how do you handle all these kids? And how do you handle working full time? And how do you manage it? And it's a funny question because it's just my life. And I don't really think about how do I handle it? Like, how how does Jane handle the fact that she... Has one child, like how do do you handle having a child in a thriving business, Melissa? You know, like we just, we handle it because it's our life and these are the choices that I've made and I'm very much at peace with the choices that I've made and I love my life and my family. And so there isn't really a question in my experience of how do I handle it? It's just, I arrange things in a way that works for me and, and it's great. And that's how I do it.
0: (laughs) I love it, babe. You're amazing. And do you leave the house to work?
1: Because I can imagine, knock, 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 mama, mama. (laughs) Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I have an office that is about a five minute drive away from our home. So it is very, very separate, but also close enough that I can bop back and forth really easily. But oh my goodness, yes. Working actually from home would not, no, I've done that, tried that, not with not with family that we have, there would definitely be knocks on the door every two seconds, and no one would be able to handle it. So, but another thing, too, is that I don't I don't watch TV. I don't watch movies. And I don't want to call those sorts of activities like time wasting because for some people, those are important things to do. And I'm very, very focused. I'm very focused on my purpose. I'm very focused on the works of art that I'm creating in the world. And I'm very focused on how I'm serving the world and my children. And so I'm driven to work also because I love and I'm devoted to my children. Everything that I do in the world is for my work, but also for for my children.
0: Mm -hmm. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. And I just want to speak to two pieces that you just mentioned. So the first piece is the shame around getting support and things like that. We would have had our parents living in our village and our grandparents and our aunts and our uncles. And I literally was having this conversation with one of my girlfriends yesterday and she has three nannies and, you know, she has care for about 40 hours of the week and she just owns it. And she's like, back in the day, we would have had all of our aunts and uncles and everyone there to support. So I really think that we need to. Let go of the shame and let go of the guilt. And again, just do what is right for you. If you don't want any care, don't get any. It's all good. You just got to do what feels right for you. So I just wanted to say that piece, you know, because my mother doesn't live around the corner. My mother lives a two hour drive away. And if she lived around the corner, I'm sure she would pop over every day and have my daughter for a couple of hours so that I could do some work, but she doesn't. So I have to get some help, you know, paid help, which is amazing. And I'm so grateful that I can do that. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to have this conversation right now with you. Otherwise, they'd be like, knock, knock, knock at the door every two seconds, which, you know, there sometimes is, and that's okay too. So I just wanted to invite people to let go of the stories, the narratives, and the shame and the guilt around getting support whatever that looks like for you. And just remember that it takes a village and you have to just do what's right for you. And then I also wanted to talk to the piece about TV. You know, people might look at you and go, nine kids, another one on the way and a thriving business. And you're like, I don't watch TV. I go to bed at seven and I wake up early. Like, that's the same as me. We don't own a TV. I don't watch TV. And in my latest book with my husband, It's called time magic, reclaim your time, reclaim your life. And the average person lives to 79 years, right? And that person spends almost nine and a half years watching TV. Think about what you could do with nine and a half years. Think about how many books you could write with nine and a half years. Seriously. And when we were working with the statistician on this book, I was just like, Wow. Okay. And I'm not dissing TV as well. Like, truly, for some people, it's like such joy and go for it. Like, my husband loves movies, but he will go to the cinema and he'll watch a movie. And that's such a joy for him. He'll do it like once a month or whatever. Brings him so much joy. But you got to do what feels right for you. But there's a lot of like wasting time, you know, that unconscious zoning out, avoidant. TV watching that we want to be aware of. So I just wanted to speak to that because, yeah, I don't do that either. I go to bed about eight o'clock as well. And, you know, this morning I was up at four, 4.30 and I love it. I love it because I get to do my most important things. So I love that. We're on the same page there, sister. Amazing.
1: Amazing. Being on purpose.
0: Yes, definitely. Okay, I've got three quick little rapid-fire questions for you now. Are you ready? Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is one thing that we can do today for our health?
1: Let go, surrender, relax. That's the most, most potent, really. Stress is the ultimate. Yeah,
0: beautiful. What is one thing that we can do today for our wealth? So more abundance in all areas of our life.
1: Hmm. I think refine one's purpose. I think look again at your purpose. Yeah, beautiful. And what's one thing that we can
0: do for more love in our life?
1: Oh, forgive. Appreciate and forgive. (laughs) Trust, accept, allow.
0: Beautiful. I love those so much this has been so amazing. I could talk to you for hours. I just love and adore you and your work. And I want to encourage everyone to go and grab your book, gift it to anyone who is pregnant or who wants to have a baby. But you are helping so many people. You are serving so many people. So how can I and the listeners give back and serve you today?
1: Oh my goodness, thank you so much Melissa, it's been really wonderful to have this conversation with you and I would absolutely love it that if you enjoy my book, if you get your hands on my book, if you read my book, please give me a glowing five star review if you're moved to, Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at bahoswife and yeah, come and say hi, love to interact with you
0: I will link to all of your amazingness in the show notes, but thank you so much for being here. I cannot wait to hear about your 10th birth. Thank you for all the incredible work you're doing. And you can probably hear my little one running in the background now. She's like, mama, I'm here. (laughs) So thank you so much for being here. I am so grateful. You are such an expander and such a goddess. Thank you so much.
1: Likewise, thank you so much for all the work that you do, Melissa, and for this chance to chat with you. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. Amazing.
0: I really hope that this episode has inspired you to come back to your heart. Whether you are thinking of having a baby soon or you are pregnant right now, always tune in. Always tune in and ask yourself, what feels right and true for me? whatever phase you're in, there is so much noise out there. Even where I'm at in my life right now with a two and a half year old, there's still people giving their opinion on how I should do things, but always come back to what feels right and true for you always, because that is the answer. So I really hope that you feel inspired after this conversation and you got a lot out of it. And if you did, please subscribe to the show and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. Because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And it also means that all of my episodes will just pop up in your feed so that you don't have to go searching for a new episode. Now, come on over to Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini and tell me what you got from this episode. I absolutely love connecting with you and hearing from you. So come on over and do that right now. Now, before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best the healthiest and the happiest version of yourself and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating and wealthy isn't a dirty word.